Hi all, I'm Richard Sefton and this is my podcast, State of Mind, with me, Richard Sefton. Listen and subscribe. Also, if you could, type State of Mind with Richard Sefton into YouTube and subscribe there for your episodes and for some bonus material. In this age of technology, texts, messaging, WhatsApp, tweets, I feel it's important to sometimes reach out and actually have a conversation with someone sometimes. And so that's what I'm doing with this podcast. Some people you may know and some you may not, but people in general fascinate me. And today's guest is a real inspiration. Nicholas McCarthy is a motivational speaker and classical pianist. Born without a right hand, he was the first left-hand only pianist to graduate from the Royal College of Music in London in its 130 year history. I first met and sung with Nicholas about 12 years back when I was part of a choir down in London and I remember being transfixed by his skill, his speed, his talent. I'd like to know more about Nicholas, what challenges he has met along the way, was he treated differently and if so, how did this affect him? So Nicholas, how are you? It's so lovely to chat to you, Richard, after all these years. Mm -hmm. When we were young, there's a song about that. When we were young. uh, Do you know that's the first song that ever made me cry um, the first time I listened to it? Just had me bawling. It still does. I know, I know. It's a classic. It's a classic. Mm. And it was basically written for us. It was, it was was when we were young and I was still... When we were young and you were in a choir and I was playing with you. Well, you would, just, so to speak. Like that, really. <laughs> <laughs> you were just saying how you remember me being tall and slim. I never got to see you stood up because you were at the piano. So, how tall are you? Well, yeah, everyone do, do, everyone does think I'm just kind of four foot something. <laughs> um, but no, I, I'm about you. I'm about a little bit shorter than you, five foot eleven. Oh, okay, so you're not tiny. No, <laughs> my other half, my to popular belief, I'm you're not, not the piano very short. Yeah. Size. My other half's five five, so um, I'm used to having people around my my, my feet. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but not. Kids. That's the annoying thing about being a pianist as well. Like when I, when you're being interviewed, and if I'm on telly or something like that, mm. you know, I'm always sat at a piano, which it, is just so annoying because it one, it's not a particularly flattering way to you know be pictured or to be filmed mm-hmm. or anything because you're kind of sat there in front of something which you can't really lean on very well because of, of, otherwise you're going to, you know, play the keys and stuff. But <laughs> it's just, just not a bit, I would just like to just be stood, really. Do you, but, yeah, never mind. But, but then you, you showcase this talent that takes people's minds away from anything else, any aesthetic that they're looking at on the TV. They see, they hear this, this noise and see that you are an amazing pianist. You know, one hand or two hands, you are an amazing pianist. Oh, bless you. Thank you. Well, I mean, I hope so. I hope people enjoy it. People seem to enjoy it still, which is nice. You know, I've been going for quite a while now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> and, you really um, have. Yeah, and, and it, it's nice that it's still going strong. It's nice that people are still, you know, are still interested, still wanting to see me perform. And actually, it's funny how my career has kind of progressed over the years, really, because, you know, and again, COVID, I think for a lot of people kind of put a big exclamation mark in mm. the middle of their kind of book of life if you like yeah um and then all of a sudden it gave yeah, well it definitely gave me that chance to just kind of think okay well let's let's treat this as a strategizing you know moment let's have a couple of quiet years because you know i've been touring since i was in my 20s and mm. um, so you know i've, I've been i've literally traveled the world and and had a fantastic time and um, you know worked with orchestras all over the place worked with you know with done solo tours and things Mm. all over the all over the world but it was just nice to kind of 
reap the rewards of all my hard work really and just to be oh oh this is my garden <laughs> you know well, like, oh, this is my this is my house that i've owned for quite some time and literally for some you know some years i i literally wasn't home really so mm-hmm. um you know it was a really lovely moment for, for me and, and my husband who just to sit for a minute and just to kind of enjoy everything that we created and then likewise to then pivot and to strategize for the future and i basically said to my husband who also also manages me i said look let's just have a quiet couple of years and let's just do almost like a comeback without me being having gone away anywhere you know um in 23 24 um season which we've done so you know i've got my my biggest concerts really um, definitely in the UK are happening happening in 2023 and 2024. It's, it's so exciting that we, you know, it's all coming together as I kind of planned, you know, mm. back in 2020. But anything uh, up in Chester? In my head. <laughs> anything up in Chester? No, but I am doing my Royal Liverpool Philharmonic debut. Okay, not that, far well, from you. That's not you far, and I, that. I would absolutely. Do you know what date that is? Are you allowed to say? No, not yet. I'll let you know. I don't know, but yeah, be, please let me know. That would be amazing. Would so, be, sure. how how is it then having your <laughs> having your husband managing you? Well, I mean, he's been my manager for so many years now. I mean, after he we didn't meet that way, so we no. were we were together, um, you know, first and foremost. And then I was travelling so much, you know, my career kind of exploded uh, after twenty twelve when I was obviously performing at the Paralympics and all of the stuff that went with that. So then after that, it was you know being out of the country a lot and I just didn't like the I'm a bit of a homebody really and I, I just didn't like being out of the country on my own and you know playing a concert to a couple of thousand people and then coming off stage and it's just you know me yeah. to celebrate with you know it's just it, it's kind of you oh, you're on such a high and then you think like mm-hmm. oh god if only if only my people back at home could have seen what's just happening you know it's amazing and I just didn't really like doing it you know I just really was like oh this is this is bad and so one um one time I was asked to do a tour of South Africa and mm. uh a, so- a solo tour and I managed to wangle Simon a ticket to come with and um and we, we we went together and he just kind of morphed really into agent you know giving giving me that separation from my producer and um, and he's, you know, he's a very diplomatic person, much more than me. That's one thing that I am not. Um, <laughs> and he, and he is, and that really works well for for us, especially. You know, I need that separation from people asking me lots of questions and, and lots of different demands and things. He is that person. He just did it so naturally. So I said, you know, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could do this all the time? You know, we could we could show the world together, see the world, and, and do this, and it could be your job. And so we tried it and um and it, it went really well but it was hard because you know he had a salary then and then he had to make the decision to to leave that job um to in order to try to to, to set up his own business um and of course that was tough you know for a while we kind of had no money you know it was just mm-hmm. on me really um and then obviously it built and then over over the years it's, it's become a success but yeah it was tricky at first definitely and also hard to try to separate personal life from work you know it, it's very easy yeah. to be at dinner or be you know having a drink of an evening and then and then all of a sudden it just segues into contracts and segues into work stuff and mm. i think because i've always been self-employed and i've always worked for my i've never worked for anybody else ever mm. um i think i'm quite good at my downtime and i'm quite good at no i'm not working now whereas simon had always had a salary and then a normal, you know, normal yeah. job. And then he set up his own business, and 
everything was on you know him and, and me essentially and and then i think he he and probably still learning a little bit actually it's me sometimes who has to put that boundary and say no we're not talking about contracts now we're out for dinner you know and it will be me mm-hmm. who kind of says that just because i've never known anything else you know i've never had a normal job i've never had a, a salary or, or a position where i leave the office and that's it until the next day you know so um it's, it's a learning curve but yeah it, it works very well for us now that's lovely. We had, had our fair share of routes right at the beginning. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> they, they have to happen. We have to get them out of the way, don't we? It must be lovely then Absolutely. to just spend all the time together and be in a relationship where that works. Yeah, it is. And I feel very fortunate, you know, like, especially when I'm doing, I don't know, like some, some tours are more difficult than others. Say, for instance, if I'm touring China, mm. you know, China's huge. So I did just before COVID, I did a 10 city tour of China. Um, mm. You know, wow. that, that's incredibly tough because every single date is about a four hour flight between, you know, it's not like you're just going from city to city, you're going, you know, from province to province essentially. So it's yeah. huge and, it's, and then that's really tough. And to be honest, I don't think I would do that without having my husband with me, really. Mm-hmm. Um, do your feet touch the like ground? Bloody hell. Yeah, yeah, I know. Did you get to and, see much of China know, as well? Yes, I did. Because, okay, that's um, good. In between, yeah, there's nice kind of couple of days in each each place that you can kind of go and be a tourist, really. And they're the nice things. And again, to do that together, that exactly. So if you were on your own, that would be less magical, I suppose. Less. Uh... Well, absolutely. Like, let's take a selfie with me. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, people do. Plenty of people do. But uh, I kind of get that. Obviously, I'm not playing massive venues and I'm not going around the world. But when I'm with my band, and then we finish, and you're on that massive high, and you're driving home on your own with LBC on, thinking. Where does this high go? Where does this adrenaline go? But when I've got, like, say my partner comes to see me or a friend comes to see me, we, we're having a laugh and we're, uh, we're enjoying the, the vibe that we've still got around us and stuff. And it's a much easier way of... It's like a cool-down after a, after a workout, I always think. Uh, whereas yeah, definitely. It, yeah. And a decompression. Mm, yeah. So, so you have that now. And that's, that's so nice. And it sounds like you have a really healthy relationship as well. On top of uh, work relationship as well as relationship relationship. Yeah, we definitely do. I think for, for us, I mean, we've always been very good at communicating to each other when we're not happy with something or, you know, um, very, I think that is the, the key to any successful relationship. I mean, we've been together 12 years now and we've been married three. So I would say we've got quite a good, you know, um, way of, of dealing with, with certain issues, which obviously are inevitable in any in any relationship, whether it's friendship, whether it's, a, you know, a partnership it's, and, or a marriage, you know, you're always going to get difficult patches difficult things you know it's not life isn't all roses and i think the main thing with that is, is that tackling communication head on and, and that's always you know stood up in good stead yeah that's brilliant well you mentioned that uh within within that then you mentioned that you performed with some giants of the music industry Coldplay. um you filled okay. your life with such amazing moments do you have a favorite oh it's so it's so difficult um I think the, the cold the, performing with Coldplay at the Paralympic closing ceremony in front of eighty six thousand people and half. I was I was one of them. I was one of them. You were one of them. <laughs> I was one and of them watching. It, 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 it can't top it. You know, even the other day I was in the co-op, Richard, and you know, Strawberry Swing, which is the song that we performed, mm-hmm. came on, and it brought a tear to my eye because it like it just transported me back 
mm. to be in center stage in front of that that magical moment and it and Beautiful. it wasn't just a magical moment for me it was a magical moment for the whole country because i think the olympics and the paralympics of 2012 mm-hmm. really connected the entire uk oh, and i think everyone you know that, that that summit it was just such a connected environment and it was almost fizzing with with energy and atmosphere so to be part of that and to be mm-hmm. you know center stage and it was yeah I, I can't top that so of course that's the top memory and also i thank that moment really for for my career being launched because it was after that that you know i was invited to do all my my, my solo tours and all of my kind of my concert career started and wow. so again that was a huge pivotal moment for, for me as mm. a musician Apparently, I think the bass player from Coldplay lives just down the road from me in Mould. Um, and one of the recording studios where we do some rehearsing with the band, apparently they recorded Yellow or something. I absolutely love Coldplay. I know they're like a Marmite band, but I don't understand how you could not like Coldplay. So that's amazing. So you've got a memory of performing with them, performing at the Paralympic Games, performing in this magical time when it might seem weird to people that have only been alive since, you know, after them or, 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 or aware of time after 2012. The country actually kind of loved each other and we were actually kind to each other and it was this big love explosion and you were part of that. But just, wow. And that also catapulted your career. So that's, that's 2012 was a proper magical year then for you. It was. It was. It was definitely kind of you know when people say, "What was like your favourite year in your life?" You know, mm-hmm. definitely for me is it is that year. Um, but you yeah, met me in twenty ten. Well, apart from twenty ten, I always say to people, Richard, actually twenty ten because I met this guy. Do you know what's funny though? Sitting down. Exactly. Exactly. And I. It's so funny because I only had to know you because you were just one. You had a big choir around you, so you were probably thinking, "Which one was he?" <laughs> <laughs> Which one was rich? I know he was tall. (laughs) Yeah, I know he was tall. I know he was lovely. So I I got a really annoying, and it it is annoying, especially in my my job where I I do meet a lot of people who have to be to my concerts and things, and then, you know, will say to me, oh, me and my husband came to see you back in 2011 (laughs) in, you know, Cleethorpe Town Hall, where I was playing. And do you remember? And it's like, well, of course I don't remember. But, you know, you'll be nice and I'll say to come see me again. So I'm like, yes, of course, I remember, you know. Um, so, but for me, I do actually have a really good knack for remembering faces. So when you contacted me on Twitter, mm-hmm. I didn't recognise your name. Um, I instantly remembered your face. Oh, that's and nice. So, that, so I, I definitely, definitely, so that showed you did stand out in that choir. <laughs> yeah, and then I walked out of that choir <laughs> not long after. <laughs> you said shame, you sat I away. I really did. No, do you know what? I was I was a bit gutted for a little while because I really enjoyed being part of that choir. But then I moved up to Chester. I joined uh, the Proud Marys, which is an LGBTQ plus choir, um, and it, it was amazing. And I realised that I'd missed my sorry. My, my watch is just going off to tell me that I've walked my amount of steps. I've not been moving for the last hour. <laughs> I don't know why it's doing that. <laughs> but hey, yeah. yeah, so then I joined that choir and it reminded me of my love for music and I suppose meeting people like you along the way is just it's just inspirational, isn't it? And it keeps that love alive and the the, the different types of music, the different diverse people that you meet along the way. Uh, my love for music isn't like one sided or one or, or single vision. It's it's like I say, meeting people like you, they make it I don't know, explode, they make my love for music explode, and you just, you just, inspirational, I suppose. 
Oh, that's not too sick of fancy. That that sounded really, really sickly. I know, but it just really no, is. Well, like just, what I'd like to say, just carry on, Richard. Actually, really <laughs> thank you. No. I'm coming on this podcast again. <laughs> all lovely Listen, you should hear my introduction for Beverly Knight, who is like my like uh, my introduction for her is so basically like love you, love you, love you, love you, love you, and here's Beverly Knight. It's basically <laughs> that. Right, let's take you back. How was your childhood? Childhood was lovely. I, I'm an only child. Um, mm. I, my parents just normal. We come from a very normal background. Um, <laughs> both, both parents hardworking, normal jobs, nothing, you know, no one's running Deutsche Bank or, you know, anything like that. <laughs> so just came, you know, came from a normal childhood, humble, humble background, but, you know, we weren't on the bread line or anything. Mm. Um, and yeah, had a really lovely childhood because I didn't start playing the piano till I was 14. Yeah. I had a whole childhood without music in my life because I come from a non-musical family. Mm-hmm. You know, n- no one plays an instrument really in my family. I think my granddad played the accordion a little bit or something, but um, apart from, and he was an Irishman, so I think every Irishman plays an accordion in a pub. Somewhere. I think so. Um, whereas, <laughs> you know, so apart from him, really it was a kind of a, a, a non-musical household and, and so my my first recollections of kind of being exposed to especially classical music was back when like driving around in the car with my mum and she might put I don't know classic FM on or something and something would come on and apart from that you know I just had a normal type of playing with my friends and you know being out and about and just having a, a nice time and then obviously when I started to play the piano at 14 because it was my own choice and I kind of decided this is what I wanted to do for my job. And um, I was very then very dedicated to it, almost, you know, sports person dedication that, you know, with training and stuff like that, that was almost my sport essentially. And um, mm. so then I was extremely dedicated to, to the piano and, you know, practicing long hours and, and doing everything I could in order to achieve what I'd set myself to achieve, which was becoming a concertist. Were um, you aware of, of, of the challenges that you would meet or the, um, the comments that you would get at that point, or did what did, did think, you? Well, I don't. I think for me, and I always say this, I think teenage naivety played a huge part in my decisions to even start to play the piano. Because when you're a teenager, you know, obviously we we, re- we remember it. You know, it's, it seems so easy to become an astronaut. It, be, it seems so easy to have multiple homes around the world. So you, mm. <laughs> it seems so easy to drive a Lamborghini. All of these things that, that yeah, I don't, you know, everyone's got their own little thing that they that they used to want to be. But yeah. it, it, it all seems so easy because of that, that lovely innocence and that lovely thing called teenage naivety. And mm. uh, so I think with, with me, having that kind of anything is possible attitude because that's the attitude I had being a teen and I hadn't been worn down, you know, yet by life or anything. Yeah. I, um, I I was just very much like, yeah, well, you know, it's easy. I'm gonna, this is what I'm going to do, you know, and I, I could see it. I could see it in my mind's eye. I could see me walking onto stage at like the Royal Albert Hall and stuff. Um, it, which you it have done. Very natural in, which I have done. Mm. It seems very clear and uh, it just seemed very clear and natural to me obviously to the outside world who perhaps weren't as naive and, and maybe open um mm-hmm. to, to stuff like that then obviously they didn't see it that way and I, I was greeted by huge amounts of of challenge and huge amounts of negativity and um, which really for the first time in my life you know I, I, I always say this and Simon when I discuss it with, with my husband about you know various things or projects that we're doing Mm-hmm. He always says, he always thinks that I was bullied 
as a child. I I say I from what you've told him. From what I've told him, okay, my daughter yeah. and things like that, and stuff my mum has said. So the interpretation. I, yeah, I always say that I wasn't bullied because my thing with bullying, and I don't know if it, I don't know if, what if who's right, but to me, bullying is systematic. It's someone who's creating a living hell for someone who's you know, it's every day. You're dreading. You're waking up going to school. You're dreading going in because this one group or one person is going to do X and in this. I didn't have that. What I did have was comments, of course. But um, I mean, Richard, did you have nothing in? You know, did you have no comments? Because I don't know one person, whether you're the most popular person in your school, who didn't have the odd negative comment thrown thrown your way. Um, I suppose there's an element of, of how it's how it's received as well. Um, if you're strong enough to to cope with that, if it, it depends on your strength as well as the person receiving it. I suppose if if you could going down that that route. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, so, yeah. And um, so yeah, I mean, in that sense. But so really, when I went out and, and you know when I started playing and trying to do competitions and you know learning and my name was in kind of teaching circles not not publicly was mm-hmm. you know being thrown around a little bit i was definitely treated with with this whole well you know it's ridiculous why would he do such a thing oh god how ridiculous what's he doing here you know what what's the point what's the and again we weren't having conversations around disability and inclusion and all of the conversations that we're having now you know it we really weren't having them then you know you didn't see disabled people on television like you do now you didn't have disabled presenters on tv like you do now so you know you you it was really kind of I, I wouldn't class myself as a trailblazer, but but to be honest, I, I was because there wasn't anyone else doing what I what I wanted to do. Why and wouldn't you class like, yourself as that? Okay, darling. Well, I am a trailblazer. <laughs> um, <laughs> you should have a badge. Yeah, I am a trailblazer. Absolutely. But you know, I, in fact, to be honest, yes, I, I was kind of going into the dark, really, and just hoping for the best. And, and again, no one in my family or, or myself knew what we were doing because no one had been to the junior department of a music college before to study, or no one had had, you know, lessons with an eminent concert pianist teacher in London. No one had gone to the Royal College of Music or anything like that. So we didn't really know. You know, we didn't know the pathways. We didn't know kind of what the what the things to do were or the things to say. Um, it was it was just a very and, and to be honest, we you know me and Mum and Dad we were complete fish out of water. Um, yeah, it was just it was just a, a time where and that was that I would say that was tough that was hard there were tears there were lots of things there was lots of questioning of me and lots of questioning of you know I kind of believed in my myself and believed in my talent and that's amazing how quick that can ebb away self-belief when you're being told from kind of 360 that mm. you know no you can't you, you were actually told you. weren't you that you'd never succeed oh countless times yeah mm. countless times and it, and you know I mean I probably I, I was rehearsing last night with um, with an orchestra in the Barbican, <laughs> and I went to the Junior Guildhall School of Music and Drama, which is in the Barbican, and I went there, you know, as a, as a junior before I went to the Royal College, <laughs> and I studied with a, with a teacher there, and um, and I remember coming out of my lessons and just being in tears, just so upset because you know you'd work so hard all week and you 
be greeted by someone who'd already made kind of a decision about you, already knew that, you know, already thought you weren't going to amount to anything. And, you know, we're very perceptive as humans, aren't we? Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I could, I could smell that from a mile off. I knew that she wasn't in my camp, you know, and, and she, she didn't think that I would ever achieve it. And it was just kind of, oh, here he is again. Okay, what have you done this week kind of thing? You know, that's instantly not a nice place to be. It's mm -hmm. a place, you know, you're on the back foot and, and uh, but I was at, I was back, I went back to the Barbican last night to rehearse and um, and it literally filled me with dread. I was walking around, you know, and you know what the wow. Barbican is like. Where it's it's very, um, it's very. There's lots of hidden corridors and hidden. And I just remember me as a 17 year old walking through these. And I I said to, I said when I got home last night, when I got home quite late. I said I think I could, it's like a bit of PTSD, PTSD going yeah. on around the <laughs> around the Barbican. It really I've never had it ever in my in my life. Where and, and again, I literally haven't been there since I since I was since I left there, which I left when I was ninety uh, when I was eighteen. So yeah, I haven't been there really since since I was seventeen, eighteen. And um, yeah, it was really weird. It was very strange, and it wasn't pleasant. And I felt very, very disconcerted and very. Um, I felt also very sad for for, for kind of little Nicholas McCarthy, you know, seventeen-year-old Nicholas McCarthy, who was who was literally just trying and trying to not let these other people essentially you know cr crushed my dream that that's what 17 year old Nicholas McCarthy was trying to do that in a way that that's that's nice though giving a bit of attention to your younger self and and giving yeah. it some thought because not only did you have um a different ability you also had a different sexuality did that ever come into your teenage years as a, as a, a, a negative you know comments and stuff like that of course, I've always had, you know, the, the typical ones, you know, shut up your purple, whatever, you know, but mm -hmm. from the straight lads in school. The good thing is I've always been funny and I think, and I'm, I'm, I am very quick-witted and I think that is so, it's such a, a such a shield and such an armour. If mm -hmm. you can cut someone down and make the, his friends laugh at him, you know, yeah. very quickly, it kind of dissipates things very quickly. And again, that that was never systematic. It was always very a one-off kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, and and so, yeah, thankfully, I you know, it's it's kind of general homophobia that we that we've all experienced. Um, but you know, again, wasn't systematic. It wasn't one person, and and I used to cut them down very quickly. And so it, it would nip it in the bud, really. Um, but again, being camp, you know, I've, I've always been always been camp, being, being the funny one, you know, being that that kind of person. And I just think that that helps. I think if if I was the quiet, shy person, but you know, someone still got a whiff of oh, he's gay. Mm -hmm. I think things would be very different. You know, things would be very different. That's where I. That's where you see a lot, don't you? You know, the the, um, the systematic abuse, systematic bullying, etc. But yeah, thankfully for me, it, it it didn't happen like that. No, so so yeah. I, again, inspirational. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, I have to ask. In the in, um, introduction I gave you, I said that you were the first left-hand only pianist to graduate from the Royal College of Music. Has there been a right-hand only pianist? Uh, no. Well, no. So basically, I'm born the right way round. <laughs> so I've, I've got my left hand. <laughs> That is really, really, really handy for me. And look at that handy, excuse the pun. That is really <laughs> handy for me because um, it is left-hand alone repertoire. So basically, it started, I'll give you a really quick potted history. Mm -hmm. Feel free to edit it out if you need to, but it will be potted. But no, no, basically, no, no, no. Concert pianists, 
were like rock stars back in, say, the 19th century. I'm mm. in the wrong century, sadly, but <laughs> concert pianists were like rock stars. So they used to, they, you know, their tours and their concerts would sell out just like, you know, Adele does in like a few minutes. Yeah. Um, and often with this kind of their adoring fans, in a, in a way to kind of make their fans go mad, they would, they would say, you know, you thought I was good with two hands. Wait until you see what I can do with my weaker hand, which tends to be your left hand because most people are right-handed, mm-hmm. meaning your left hand tends to be slightly naturally weaker. So they would play this kind of little play on irony, you know, look at what, look at this amazing stuff I can do with my, my left hand. And it would just send the crowd, you know, wild. Um, mm-hmm. We fast forward in time to the First World War. And again, because most people are right-handed, you're more likely in a war situation to injure or lose your right limb mm-hmm. versus your left because you're using it more. So statistically, you know, you're more likely to. And so as we know, thousands of servicemen come back from the First World War with injuries and a lot of the time injured right limbs, missing right limbs. Um, and there was this one man named Paul Wittgenstein who was a Viennese um, real socialite, really. And mm-hmm. um, he commissioned using when he, when he lost his right ha- right hand during battle, he came back to Vienna and used his position in society and his wealth to commission all of the real celebrity composers of the day of the of the twentieth century to write left hand alone pieces for him. All, so expanding this already present tradition from the 19th century of left hand alone playing, expanding it hugely, but this time with the real hoi polloi of 20th century composition. So really that's that's how, so it was very much left hand alone and right hand alone, there's a few pieces really, but there's really nothing much as in, it'd be very difficult to have a a full career as a right hand alone pianist. Um, Whereas with a left hand alone pianist, you know, you've got huge piano concertos by some of the greats you've got 3,000 works for left hand alone solo so you know there's a real career's work there to do versus the right hand sadly not so luckily luckily for me I was born the right way around that's that's fascinating that's absolutely fascinating wow um do you class music as your work or your therapy or your play or is it a bit of all of those things um I Love the piano. I, I actually don't listen to a lot of music. I'm a, I'm a real one for silence, <laughs> um, which is the polar opposite to my husband, who's constantly got me to come. I love silence. I don't work if I'm working on or writing something or you know doing something. I never ever have music on. Um, I think it's because you know when I'm at the piano, that's all I'm hearing, and it, and I'm I'm concentrating, and it's it's a real concentration for me. Um, so I would I would class really. I love my job. I love what I do with, with regards to the piano. So I, I would class it as work. It's, it's very rare that I get chance now to sit and just play and to sit and kind of, oh, I'll, I'll play this. Or, oh, I, I remember doing that. I'll play that. I just don't really get the chance to do that. So really, it is work. You know, I'm there learning new repertoire. I'm there having to look at next season and think, right, what's coming up? I better learn that, or I need to dig that out and learn this. And mm. so, yeah, it is work. The part that I don't view as work is my motivational speaking career, which is, mm. you know, again something I never went into purposely and kind of fell into that. Yeah. Um, but that is something I absolutely love. Because essentially, I'm a communicator. Whether I'm communicating through music, whether I'm communicating through words or through through writing, that's essentially what I I try to do. Um, and and in that, what I love about my my speaking work is obviously the piano is involved, 
my mm. stories there. But it's usually because I'm speaking to an audience who would never ever have come to one of my concerts. Yeah, you know, you know, most people are quite scared of classical music, really. Um, so it's quite nice to speak to, you know, a thousand CEOs in Dubai and have, you know, them, them kind of on their feet and applauding and, and finding me inspiration, but also finding my performance, you know, having that my performance touch them in some way. I, I love that because I know I would never, ever have been able to reach them or they would never have been able to come or wouldn't have come to one of my shows, perhaps. Um, in, in another, you know, in another area. So I, I really, it's a part of my life which I, I love, and I'm very fortunate to to have that, you know, fifty fifty with with my with my performing career. That's brilliant. Yeah, that's it, it is brilliant, and we've not really touched uh, touched on that much because I'm fascinated by the music, obviously. Um, obviously. You said there that most people are scared of classical music. Is there a piece that reaches out that that people seem to know uh, more than more than other pieces? Yeah, I mean, I think adverts play a big part, don't they? You know, yes. we've, all, we've all heard, yeah, um, we've all heard certain pieces on adverts, and of course, that you know, that gets shown to millions of people, and it and it's repeatedly shown to millions of people. So people get an affinity with certain adverts. If you just think of the BA advert with with um, with the the bus, uh, with the flower duet, or you think of by the I flower think, duet, I, I think yeah. I know which one you mean. Uh, yeah. yeah, and then you think of. Um, I was going to whistle it, but that wouldn't sound good on a microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, us two doing a flower jet in whistle. I'll be a track on my track on my latest album. Can we do dueling banjos <laughs> afterwards with, by whistling? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so for me, you know, of course, they're they're they're, they're pieces where, you know, that I don't I don't play because I found. Earlier on in my career, when I first did my first, when I got my first album deal, um, obviously controlled by the late, you know, I was signed to Warner, so it's a major label, and you know, mm. they're, they're quite controlling, and um, and they wanted a certain, you know, certain repertoire on certain things, and I kind of felt <clears throat> a little bit inauthentic, and I feel that now I, I'm not with them. Thankfully, it, it, I, I'm looking. My my next album's going to come out in 24, 25, and I'm so excited because it will just be my first. Where I'm just kind of this is just me, and this is what I want to do, and I don't care if no one listens to it. You know, I don't. It's it's just what I want to put out in an authentic way, and um, and I think you know I, I've done the whole thing of kind of you know playing playing for. Uh, people's ears essentially you know playing but oh mm. they'll know that one so let's do an arrangement of it or oh they'll yeah. know that I've done that and um, and that's there for prosperity you know it's obviously with streaming now it's, it's still there and it's great and I'm proud of the album don't get me wrong um, but I'm in a different time in my life you know I'm, I'm not in my mid-twenties and uh, I've got more of a voice and I've got more to say and you know and so yeah that's so I'm looking forward to, to, to my next one in a few years. That's that's that sounds like an amazing place to be. So, what, did did you have a favorite piece of music or favorite song that's maybe not classical? Uh, I mean, I I'm a bit like you, so I I obviously love classical music, but I do listen. If I if I were to listen to music, I mean, when I go with my friends or you know in a club, then I I've always got my request. I mean, I love Amy Winehouse. I love. <sighs> I, I met really her. I met Amy Winehouse. That's no, my claim to fame. I did, but I was working in the police at the time, so it wasn't uh, <laughs> it wasn't the best best way to meet up. <laughs> but you know, I got to spend fifteen minutes just me and her chatting and having a laugh. Totally off her head. Bless her. Yeah, but, it was a blessing. God bless yeah. her. 
I know, um, and it made me feel like a connection when she went, you know, it was like, oh, no, I felt this, uh, anyway. Yeah. So, yeah, sorry, anyone I mean, else? I, I think I just love this songstresses. You know, I love Adele. I love hmm. Amy. I love someone who's got a different, you know, someone different. And, you know, as well, like with Adele, I, I, I preferred her earlier stuff, but now, to be honest, I'm not as, I'm not as big a fan of hers as me, I was. Me neither. And most people, well, I popular think, opinion. Either. Well, I think a lot of people are saying the same thing. Oh, good. You know, <laughs> um, and, and I think, you know, she's changed as a, as a person, as we all do. And I think you just go on journeys with different artists, don't you? And for me, I really like the early stuff. Likewise with Amy, I, I liked her first album, Frank. Mm. And then I, was, I wasn't so much into Back to Back. So, um, yeah, I, I, I think it's the songstresses with, some, with something different to say. And some and a different sound and everything. That's what draws me to to them. And um, and so yeah, that's that's kind of my go to playlist, if you like. So it, it, so your your music taste is 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 massively varied. If if your Alexa was to to be listening, just play a big stream of everything, would it? <laughs> it would, yeah. And and actually, you know, like when I've got people around or stuff like that, you know. Having dinner, I wouldn't really play classical. I, I I love it, and I think it's just it's my work, and I, I I listen to it in a different way to perhaps other people do who aren't working in the uh, in it. I'm listening yeah. for technicalities. I'm listening for you know I can't help it. It's, it's my music kind of critical side comes out. Whereas obviously because I don't sing and I don't you know I'm not a pop star and I'm not mm. Adele. I don't listen to that with any critique. I just listen to it. And if, do I like it? No. Okay, turn it off. Or do I like it? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll save it. Um, yeah, so that, that's basically my, my listen. But like I say, I really don't listen to, to music a lot at all. No, see, I, I do. I'm with your partner on that one, with your husband on that one. I do use music a lot, but my Alexa knows only Spice Girls <laughs> and <laughs> Beverly Knight and Pink and very poppy sort of amazing amazing songs that like that have lasted so many years but very poppy but then you know the odd occasion when I will be lying in the bath and I'll be like play Packerbell's Cannon or something that I'm trying to get ideas for when I finally (laughs) marry my partner (laughs) like yeah "Yeah, play classical music Alexa (laughs) yeah yeah, and then just you just need to find one and repeat. What was that? Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah, well, we, we're going down the route of classical arrangements of pop songs at the minute. My sister-in-law walked down the aisle um, last month too. It's 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 Taylor Swift and it's something like Wildest Dreams and it was a, a a classical arrangement of that and it absolutely it was absolutely beautiful, so beautiful. So we're going down yeah, that side. So there we go. You can you, that's the route. You've got to keep on, Richard. When you're having your bath, you mm. know, get some nice cello versions of Wannabe and you'll be fine. <laughs> yeah, do you know, I didn't even think about that. But then I'm going to be the one stood at the Blooming Altar waiting for this, you know, this other one to walk down playing the bride. Are you, enga- are you engaged? I am engaged, yeah. We've, we've, we've oh, been, I'm so excited. We've been making inroads at the minute and, and, and pick, we've picked a venue and stuff like that. So we are we are getting there. Um, something that I never oh, thought, really? something that I always wanted but never thought would happen. Same with with kids, but I don't think that is going to happen now. But something that I was always wanted and, and never thought, and, and I may be getting a, a husband sooner, sooner yeah. or later. Oh, that's but. lovely. Well, I, I, you know, I was engaged for nine years, 
So, you know, I, I think an engagement is a nice place to be. And it's it a nice is. kind of... You so know, my Sam needs to stop moaning then nine years. My Sam needs to stop moaning. <laughs> yeah, how long how long is it, how long have you been engaged? We've been together for coming up six years. We got engaged. <laughs> I don't remember the date, all I remember was it was the day that Harry and Meghan got married. <laughs> okay. Okay. So that's what, two two years. However long ago that was, yeah. 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 So, you know, it, 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 it's fine. That's a nice engagement. I think the whole jumping in and doing six, you know, you get engaged and then six months later, you know, some people really like to rush it through. Yeah. I, think, I think engagement is quite a nice moment to be in in a, in a partnership. I think it's quite, you feel a little bit more connected than you did yeah. because there's like a, a promise there and there's a, a more kind of commitment. Um, Absolutely. You know, in the future. But it isn't quite there, and it's exciting. You know, it's a nice, it's a nice time. So yeah, it is. Good. Just don't do nine years because people do stop asking. I mean, literally, part of the reason is that I could nine years. Is, like people just don't ask anymore. Like you know, you go, when are you getting married? Where's your yeah. Literally, we just mm. didn't have any answers to these people. They just stopped asking. So then I said, you know, and you know what happened? I nearly we got married in November 2019. Mm. And we nearly said, oh, we're great this time. Shall we wait oh, till wow. 2020? <laughs> and thank God we did. Imagine if <laughs> you had, you'd still be waiting. Well, no, you might have just, just got married now, finally. But bloody hell. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, that was, we've been through a major, major uh, time that, that will always, that will be talked about in history and stuff. It's mad what we've just been through. It's like I started the podcast end of 2020 so we were still massively in the grips of it grips of it then but I, I i mean i was speaking before about beverly knight and the episode that i did with her which was my second episode and we spoke about people in the arts they were just not looked after and they were just everything kind of just shut down didn't it so for you that must have been a horrendous time or was it did you just sit back and enjoy it eventually uh i i've always had a, a... I've always treated my industry as a as a business. Um, you know, it's called the music business or mm-hmm. show business for a reason. And so I'm not one of these musicians who's just, you know, heads in the clouds and just playing for the love of playing. I, I, I it is a job to me as well. And I, I you know, yeah. do like a certain way to live, Richard. So, um, <laughs> so I've always, I've always been a planner. I've always been a saver. I'm quite um, caviar with your chips. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, you know, you know, you know the way. Yeah, but, yeah. So I was, I was very fortunate because all the planning and stuff. I essentially, I've always planned for the fact that at some point, statistically, I'd injure my hand. Oh, oh wow, okay. And would and wouldn't be able to play. Um, and so with that, obviously, COVID hit. It stopped me playing. Yes, like my hand wasn't injured, but I wasn't able to play. Um, and so you know that that then you know my 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 investments, my savings stuff kind of were there. Um, and likewise with that, and thankfully not having all my eggs in one basket was just the piano and my speaking, my, you know, my speaking career went through the roof in COVID. And I've, you know, I've got a purpose built studio here in, where I'm speaking from now um, in my house. And um, so my, that's what, you know, I, I built the studio during, I think that was in the June mm-hmm. and then I was, I was, it was just so busy, you know, I've, I've given my biggest talks really um, in, in this studio remotely, which was just strange. But, and um, so I was very thankful. So even though I wasn't performing and I, I did two online concerts, one for the Royal Albert Hall and one for Yamaha, um, apart, and I hated doing those because I didn't like performing online. But the, um, apart from that, I was, you know, I looked like I was quiet, but I wasn't, I was incredibly busy with, with, but with talks. Um, mm. 
so yeah, I was I was very fortunate. Very, I mean, you know, I've had a few friends of mine who who went bankrupt. I've had a few friends of mine. One of them lost their their place where they live. You know, there's there, you know, there, there's some real casualties, financial casualties, and obviously with financial any pressure comes huge emotional pressure because the, the yeah. two go hand in hand. Mm. Um, and so yeah, it was. I, I was just very fortunate, and thank. You know, I also thank myself for, for always kind of planning ahead a little bit, really. No, that's brilliant. Yeah, I I I I turned my life around because of the pan- pandemic, and I actually felt a bit guilty. Guilty? Yeah, I suppose I did. Watching people crumble around me and 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 things. Um, when you talk about things like the Royal Albert Hall and the Paralympics and stuff like that, do you ever get nervous? Did you ever get nervous? Do you still? I still get nervous. Um, I get nervous. Um depending on what it is so for instance you know like i've got my royal philharmonic orchestra debut in 2024 Mm -hmm. um i'll be incredibly nervous for that because you know this is something i've worked up for for years and this is you know really you know one of the best orchestras of the world and i'm soloist with them so it's a huge amount of pressure It's it's a huge honor to play with them um so yeah i'll be nervous for that Things like what was funny things that I don't get nervous for is you know speaking to six thousand people uh, mm. in, in a talk. I tend not to get too nervous about that. I don't know why. I think it's because it's easier to control your voice and to control your what's coming out of your mouth, words, and you know how your voice sounds. I find that much easier to control in a nervous, pressurized environment than I do playing the piano. Funnily enough. Um, mm. So I just think the nerves really are never really present um, with with my talks. But I think it's important to have some nerves. You know, I, but too many nerves can make you all fall apart, you see. So, yeah, it, there needs to be a fine balance. Do you ever get that thing uh, of before just before you go on think I can't do this I can't I know that's yeah. nerves but like like severe nerves like that because I kind of get that a lot of every gigs <laughs> it's dead yeah. funny but then I, I often talk about I'm going into a very male uh, macho alpha male environment and for me that still has hangovers from when I was a teenager you know I, so so for me that's where I think that comes from with me but you're doing like massive yeah. you can't even see the audience in some of the places that, does that help or hinder I find it helps. I have had that before. I remember the last time it happened, I think it was in my, the 2019, it must have been 2019. Um, I was doing a UK, a UK tour and I was playing at Birmingham Town Hall. And I, for some reason, was incredibly nervous. Um, I, don't, I don't know why. And then I, uh, I went on stage and I didn't play, I will say I didn't play my best. Um, and uh, and I remember getting off stage. This is funny, a little funny story. I um, <laughs> was in the inter- it was the interval, and Simon came back backstage, and he never comes backstage, you see, in the interval. Hmm. Um, but he did because he knew that I wasn't playing. You know, most people wouldn't have known, but he knows that mm-hmm. I wasn't playing my best. So <clears throat> he he came and was like, "Are you okay?" And uh, and I I was like, "No, I can't do. It. I'm not doing this. This is just ridiculous. I can't do it anymore. I'm not doing this." I can't, you know, and I had a hissy fit basically about, you know, I, I'm absolutely not, I'm just going to do my talks and I'll have to do something else. I'm not doing, I'm not putting myself through this, you know. And um, and at the same time, he then pointed to my lapel and I had my lapel mic on and that was going into the hall. Oh my God. 
So I'm basically for you. the audience, the audience <laughs> there in the interval who was getting up and probably saying, you know, because like I said, I wasn't that bad. I just, for me, I, I, I wasn't playing my best. So they were probably saying, oh, that was lovely, wasn't it? And all of a sudden my voice, I'm not doing it. And I can't, and I, this is ridiculous. You know, why do I put myself through this? You know, why did I pick such a job? You know, and stuff like that. And then, yeah, it was, it was all on the uh, all, all being received out to the hall wasn't that a lovely moment to walk back on stage after the interval wow did you did you acknowledge it did you say anything or, or did you just no no I'm a big believer Richard in keeping quiet and just pretending that it all meant to happen oh Jesus this is like giving me Elton John vibes now the diva moment <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I was almost be, I was be deep with like, but about myself as in like yeah. I am not. Uh-huh. You know, I well, who wants a left hand alone? How ridiculous! What a stupid, stupid fourteen-year-old boy I was to go oh. into. You know, and I was, I literally was like, no, never doing it again. Never playing another once again. And um, <clears throat> yeah, obviously I did. And I got over it very quickly. But yeah, I, that, that was that happened. And that was yeah, not not pleasant, not pleasant moment really. As you know, you know what it's like when you go on stage yourself. It's if you're in that that um, mind space, mm. you know, it's incredibly tough to to segue from that mind space to something else, isn't it? Yeah, I don't have lapel mics and I don't have giant auditoriums at our gigs, but you know, we have people sat on hay bales in the summer in these big festival things, which are amazing. They're the best ones, the outside ones. They're, they're, they're they're good. Nice, they're in nice. the winter, it's all like pokey. Pubs, I shouldn't say that in case anyone's listening, but uh, really nice but pokey pubs. <laughs> yeah, really you know. fabulous, smart, amazing, beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> Everybody go and see live music at your local pubs because I know of two. I found out two today that are closing down and they were amazing pubs. So whilst I'm just thinking about it now, go and go to your local pub, support it, and especially if they've got live music on, go and support it because it's needed. Definitely. Anyway, end of <laughs> end of that that little bit. So, do, are you the sort of person that has struggled with mental health or are you the sort of person that is that it's never really touched because you seem like a really strong person yeah i I am a strong person and i am uh pretty centered um Mm. i kind of lost my reason when i was at the royal college actually so it's in my first year Mm -hmm. um i wasn't very well there i had a very short spell of a deep dark depression which actually was really brought on by, by a minor eating disorder to be honest mm. um and that that obviously wasn't pleasant um and i, I actually i moved home i moved back i moved back from london to mum and dad still went to the royal college but i just commuted from from where mum and dad lived there um mm. because i i just i was kind of going down and down and, and i wasn't able to to get out of it so that was the only real time where i lost my reason and lost my compass essentially um and lost my because as i said i do i do feel quite a centered person and i feel like any difficulty i i'm able to navigate which is but but at that time definitely i couldn't and like i said it was definitely because of the eating disorder that i had and and you know it was a side order of depression with it really um Mm -hmm. and it comes sadly comes hand in hand yeah, well, uh, it's it, it, it. So you were aware of your triggers. There, you were aware of almost what to do to help yourself, and you did it by moving home. Yeah, well, I, I well, I, mum and dad kind of told me I was moving. <laughs> I was kind of forced 
Um, but it was it was really the, the thing that needed to get sorted was was my my problems with my eating. Um, you know, because I, I I touched on it before we 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 went before we were speaking. But yeah. you know, I've had it. I suppose my it's not mental, well, maybe it is. It's all connected, I suppose. But my struggle essentially it's always to be about weight you know it's always been been my weight you know at my, at my biggest i was 21 stone when i was 18 mm-hmm. and then through an eating disorder i lost 12 stone in a year and wow. literally God. transformed my body you know so much as in people just didn't recognize me because it happened so quickly mm-hmm. and people thought i'd had surgery people thought i'd had you know all this stuff which i just didn't i just exercised twice a day and didn't eat um and and then obviously now, you know, I, I, I gained a lot of weight in COVID. Um, I'm, you know, the biggest I've been for years. Again, not I, I'm at a different part, point of my life because, you know, I'm not I'm not really devastatingly unhappy about it. <laughs> Do you know? I mean, obviously, if I had a pill, that could say, oh, let, let's go back to what you know, let's let's go back to what you were sideways. Of course, I'd take that pill instantly. But you know, my husband loves me. I, you know, I, I I think I kind of carry weight quite well. Um, even and I've been so many different sizes. You just have to Google image me, and you will see that. Oh, he's a bit porky there. Oh, look at him. He's lovely there. Lovely and skinny. Oh, he looks a bit gaunt there. Okay. Oh no, he's fat as a house there. Literally, I've seen so many sizes in my time. It's ridiculous. And yeah. sadly, at the moment, I'm just, I'm just, uh, you know, I, I'm just this currently. Um, the good thing is with it, I'm very fit. So I, I always say I'm fit, but I'm fat. You mentioned I'm the gym. Fit, you know. Yeah. You mentioned I, the gym before we started you know, recording. No, yeah. Yeah, there's no health issues, which is lovely. Um, mm. You know, because obviously that's that. I, I'm a big, you know, if you're if you're not feeling right in yourself, you're not feeling healthy, you're not able to do certain things, um, then you need to obviously change things. You know, I'm I'm incredibly fit. Um, but yeah, sadly, my 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 body just does like being big, <laughs> which is just so annoying and just really bloody annoying. But you know, it is what it is. You said that and at you some like... point, Richard, I will be slim again. That's what I just know. You know, I'm just this is I've done it so many times, mm. so many times. It's just I just know. So I, I'm kind of at the stage where I'm thinking, oh God, you know, I'm I, 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 it comes to a point you need some form of acceptance. You know, I know that I'm not going to be, you know, this willowy <laughs> person. Um, and so really, I, I, I've accepted that. And now it's just about kind of getting in the mindset to just try and lose at least the weight that I put on in COVID, which, you know, because I mean, with exercise, the amount of exercise I do, it just doesn't seem to touch the size. They do say you can't, can't outrun a bad diet, don't they? Um, yeah. My diet's particularly bad. I just do like wine quite a lot, Richard. See, I don't drink really. I drink every now and again. So I've got that. I've got that, but um, I've just started spinning as well, which we also touched on before we press record. Spinning makes me feel amazing afterwards, um, but during and before, I fret about it so much. Um, you said about your part, your husband um, absolutely loves you the way that you are. What about you? Do you love you the way you are? Uh, I don't. I I don't look in the mirror. And again, because I've been so many different sizes, you know, mm-hmm. I remember. Physically and emotionally. And yeah, know, I don't look in the mirror and I, I don't look in the mirror and look and, and see disgust. No, I don't mm-hmm. think, oh, God, you know, you. and I have done that in the past. You know, I have yeah. when I was in the when I was when I was younger and it was kind of that late teen and had mm-hmm. my eating problems and did used to look in the mirror and be absolutely disgusted by, by what I was seeing back, you know, all to do with weight. 
now I don't. I don't. I, I think I look all right, you know. <laughs> I'm not going to be on the cover of Men's Fitness anytime soon. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I, I, I don't look. At, I don't look and think, oh God, why is your husband with you? I can, you know, he, I can see why he is. <laughs> so you know, I'm quite content, like really. And I think that's the problem. It's because I'm I, I'm content there, and I've got love and you know a healthy marriage in all areas and um you know i i I don't have that kind of oh you need to change because this isn't you know i i feel i I feel quite good the times where i don't feel good are if i've got something coming up publicly Mm. where i know it's going to be a little bit more bougie a little bit more shishi a little bit more fashiony and i I essentially need to just have clothes made for me, I think, because, you know, <laughs> but I just never do. Because, you know, going into high street shops, they're, they're just they're, they're just not cut for my body. They just yeah. don't fit me right. You know, they just don't fit. Even if the size is there, you know, there's lots of places that are just plus size stuff now. You know, even if the size is there, um, it just doesn't cut. It's not, it doesn't fit me correctly. You know, and so that's mm-hmm. that's the only time where I feel for, I feel frustrated. You know, I wish I could be bloody, you know, thirteen stone again or something, just because mm-hmm. it's so much easier. Um, but even then, I remember I used to get my jackets altered and things like that because, again, my body shape. I'm a, I'm very much a pear. You know, I'm very much a pear shape. I'm quite, mm-hmm. I've essentially got quite a womanly figure, and I've got hips mm-hmm. and a bum. You know, and and like Kim Kardashian, like the male version of bloody Kim Kardashian <laughs> in the in the in the derriere region. Um, which is, you know, I don't mind it, nor does my Absolutely husband, but, brilliant. You know, but it, that isn't, you know, it, it isn't when it comes to buying a suit. That doesn't mm. then work because you buy, you know, and it doesn't then it doesn't really work well. Even though my, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not grotesque by by my body shape. You know, it's it's a really funny thing. So, um, they're the moments where I do get, I suppose, frustrated. And think, oh, for God's sakes, you know, just bloody hell, just let's just lose you know four stone or something um and yeah it, it's mainly because of clothes <laughs> you know that's that would be that would be the reason which says a lot about the fashion industry really doesn't it how it kind of shaped like because me uh, i mean I, and, and friends that i know that can walk into a shop and some shops they can be a size i don't know 12 and in some shops there are 16 or whatever and, it, and it, it's all different and the the, the amount of uh mental ter- turmoil that, that, that i hear from friends after they've been shopping or before they go shopping so there is this uh maybe there's something that needs to be well you know it's been going on for years and there? there's definitely something that needs to be done if that's causing so much mental anguish just because we need to put something on our bodies it's yeah, Crazy. I think as well. Like it's mad. I was I was shopping the other day, and it's very rare actually. I go I go shopping because you know, thankfully, the likes of Athos has Athos Plus size and things like that. And again, you mm. you'd look at me, Rich. You wouldn't think that you know I'm not one of I'm not on a Channel Five documentary about to cut out my own house. You know, I'm just. I, I mean, I don't I don't look that big. You know what I mean? Because I you I I'm aware that you can't actually see me, so I'm kind of describing this. We're having a Zoom call. We're having a Zoom call. Straight after this, I'm doing a Zoom call with. Yeah, and you know, I I don't don't look horrific, but all I'm saying is that you know, like Apple Plus size, for instance, with men. You know that that's fairly good, but again, some of the cut, and then again, that's why I want to wear Asos clothes to go to a nice event. No, I don't. And so, and and things like going shopping with Simon, you know, he's very slim, 
and um, always has been. He kind of, you know, puts on a pound, and it's you know after Christmas, and he eats everything. And he, my mum always said he's got hot, he's got hollow legs because he just eats and eats and eats, and, eats. Um, and he cooks. Like, oh my god, I've gained half a pound. I'm like half a pound? I've been like a stone in like three weeks. It's, in the it, same it meal. Just goes, it just goes. Yeah, like one meal, Christmas day. Um, and I don't eat anywhere near the the the, the amount that Simon eats. Um, mm. But his dad's very slim. His granddad was very slim. But you know, even him, you know, he goes into Zara, for instance. Oh, he's like a, a large doesn't fit him on trousers. The mm-hmm. world, you know, he he. And I'm thinking, but you're that's wrong. You're not a large or an extra large person. So why are you having to buy these guys? You know, they don't even fit me. So what? You know, I know mm-hmm. I wasn't. I wouldn't even look. Um, whereas for him, I just think even that I'm like, but you're not an extra large. Babe. Mm. Why are you having to buy? You know, it's just it's, so even that it's all skewed, and you know, it's it's bizarre. But like I said, I just need to obviously earn enough money that all my clothes can be made for me, or, um, or my bespoke body, or start doing naked, 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 naked concerts, <laughs> or naked concerts. Yeah. You know, either like either sell or. Lots of tickets or no tickets at all. It will either be an either-or situation. I think, you know, there's a market out there. Make all the audience come naked as well. I'll come. Why not? <laughs> oh, thanks, then. I'll pay you to come. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be front front row, front row, front row and centre. <laughs> you'll be taller than me then, like, unlike the last time when you were sat down. You'll be above me, so that's good. Um, we've covered a lot of ground today. And again, I have to tell you that, to me, you are an inspirational human being. Um, I'm sure that many, many people think that. And there's got to be a part of you that knows that, surely. I, yes, obviously, I, I do realise that. Due, due to, mainly due to the fact that people, you know, I mean, it used to be, I mean, that just shows how long we're doing it. It used to be letters. People used to send letters. And What's a letter? Like but, I know, what is a letter? <laughs> what, what is letter? that? <laughs> Oh, I, I kind of remember from history class. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, now it's obviously just online, and it's much easier. And you, you know, people do express their their gratitude for, uh, about me inspiring them in some way or shape or mm. form, whatever. Um, and and they tell me, and that's lovely. You know, more I, I instant love that. as it, well. It's more instant, and it, mm-hmm. I think people get things off their chest very. You know, if they're feeling an emotion. They can say it straight away, and it gets to me. Um, so yeah, that's that is lovely. So I am aware that you know, to some people, I am an inspiration, and and what I do has inspired them in some way. That makes me obviously a very happy, a very happy man. Must be amazing. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, I've really Pleasure enjoyed this conversation. Um, I'm looking forward to 2024 already. And um, did you say 24, 23? You said 23, didn't you? 24, no, the real Liverpool fill is 24. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that already. Um, long way off, so maybe I'll, I'll I'll come sooner if I can somewhere else. But I might be slim, Richard. I might have lost three stones. Well, I don't. I won't know I'll who I'm looking know. for. This I'll let you know. <laughs> <laughs> might be, oh, but it... that much weight that you won't see me. I mean, this 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 would be amazing. And with me doing the spinning classes, I might be falling down the same grid as you. So you know, yeah, exactly. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you there. And then I'll have the legs to paddle through the horrible water as well because I'm I'm training my legs with spinning. It's great. Absolutely. No, thank you so much. It is a win-win, and I feel like. If and when I see you, it's going to be a good laugh, actually. So I'm looking oh, forward definitely. to that. And again, thank you so much for joining me. Um, and I look for... Oh, what have you got coming up? Plug it. 
What have I, well, it's, uh, what have I got coming up? Well, I've got the London Gay Symphony Orchestra, which is next Sunday. <clears throat> but obviously this might not be out yet. Where's um, that? And in the bar, it's in the, ch- the little church in the middle of the Barbican. Okay. <clears throat> yeah. Um, so that's Sunday the 16th of October. And then I've got, I'm quiet-ish with performing. I've got obviously some speaking engagements and things. And then I'm off to Hong Kong next year, very <gasps> early next year. Um, with the Hong Kong Festival, so I'm excited about that. Mm. And yeah, so, so yeah, nice things coming up. Lots of orchestra stuff, and again, but like I said, the, my main stuff comes in 23, 24. Um, Amazing. You know, I'm looking forward to that. So I'll maybe be posted anyway, Richard. Maybe I should keep hold of this episode until a bit later on. Yeah. <laughs> oh no! Until my album's out. Just... I might just say, and my new album. I'm going to have a gap now. And my new album. Blank. Talking to Richard. Songs about Richard. I can re-record the title for you and there we go, we've got it. (laughs) Absolutely, but I I want my name in there at some point in the album, just if if we're doing that, but hey-ho. It's going to happen. Well, we've got our our whistling duet to do. Yes, absolutely. Um, (laughs) I do, I do, oh no, I won't go into that now. I do whistle in one of the songs (laughs) that we do. The Fratellis, I think it is. um, Yeah, yeah, let's not go into that now. Um, Take care and I will hopefully speak to you soon. Well, I'll speak to you as soon as I've stopped this recording, but... (laughs) I'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure.